Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Artaban is going to meet the three wise men. There's a sick man. Is he going to say, no, I can't help this guy? Knowing that he may be late, miss his whole opportunity to meet the king, the Messiah? Jonathan Fessenden invited me to be a guest on his Missio Day podcast back in May to talk about The Fourth Wise Man, a 1985 movie starring Martin Sheen as one of the Magi, Persian astrologers who are following the star to the birth of Christ. Uh, This movie is beautiful, interesting, and short. It's only an hour and 10 minutes long. You can watch it on YouTube for free or Informed, the Catholic streaming service, if you subscribe to that. On Amazon, you can rent it for for $2. Uh, I'll put all these links below. I'll also add the link to our original interview um, on YouTube. What this is, is just the audio from that discussion, very slightly abridged. I hope you watch the movie. I hope you enjoy our discussion on Almost Good Catholics. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east, and we have come to worship him. I don't think you should look for him in the mansions of the rich. Where then? The spirit of the Lord has been given to me. It's Isaiah quoting the Messiah. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring liberty to captives, and to give the blind new site. Well, hello, everybody. We are back. And I got Chris's name right, I think, this time. Chris, <laughs> Chris Odinitz. Yep. There we go. That's me. Oh, there it is. We're um, going to discuss a really interesting movie, something that kind of popped up for me, actually, when I was watching Formed on the Form channel. Do you have that channel, by the way? I don't have that channel. No. What is that? I recommend it. It's a... Um, I believe it's a Catholic channel that has a lot of great media, a lot of films. There's a, and they're all like Catholic films and some really high quality films. A lot of films I haven't, I've never heard of before. Uh, I Mm. think I watched the John 23rd, uh, the St. Ignatius Loyola movie. They have just, you know, and these are like feature film and really, really good. Actually, the St. Teresa of Avila, the Spanish versions on there, which was the TV show the eight season i think it was like eight no i'm sorry eight episodes i think it was only one season <laughs> that sounds great i didn't know even know that existed yeah i don't think I, a lot of people know about that film it's really really well done yeah, yeah so we're going to talk today though about the fourth wise men and as i was saying I, I rolled over on this film i pressed play i was kind of in a serious mood so when the movie started i was like 
I don't know if I really mm-hmm. want to do this. It seems kind of silly and goofy. Yeah. Uh, and I put pause on it for a minute, made a little, little tea, you know, like I have right now. Yeah. Excellent. And, <laughs> yes. Let it play for a little bit. And really, it just sucks you in right away. There yeah. we go. Let me yeah. see the let me see the book again. So the greatest gift, the story of the other wise man. So if I I knew this story as a children's book, and my maternal grandmother had read it to me in the 80s in Polish, probably before this movie was made. And then uh my uh youngest godmother gave it to us as a birthday present. And I cannot get through this without crying. And likewise, yeah. I cannot get through the movie, the 85 movie that we're going to talk about without crying. And I, even though I watched it three times this week, knowing we talk about it, I watched it again this morning with my kids and I was in tears at the end. And like, maybe I'm a big sap, but. uh, I don't think so. Yeah. There there is something about the ending of that movie. I watched it. I showed it to my kids at school, sixth graders. And I had, I had a few that were, were balling pretty hard, man. Yeah. And I don't know how you couldn't. The ending is, is just so it's so profound but we'll, we'll we'll get to the ending of course we'll talk about did you know about this film before or just the book no i only i thought it was a children's book and it's only when you suggested the movie and i started reading about it that i even knew it was a novella from 100 years ago yeah uh, and th- and this is not even the first movie right there have been previous versions of it this is just the most most recent. i didn't know that i, I, yeah. I really oh, okay cool yeah this is all you know uh, half-hearted Wikipedia research. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> oh, there you go. So I, well, I'm glad I turned you on to the movie because it was, how did you feel compared to the book? By the way, this particular, we're talking about the I 1985 think... version too, right? Right. So here's a, here's a 1985 made for television movie. It feels like a fable. It feels like a pageant. Uh, it's a, it's a story that lends itself, I think, to a children's book and is harder to do on the screen because on the screen, everything is precision and, and realism. And you're trying to tell a fable uh, on the screen. I think they did a really great job, but it does, it does sort of feel like um, uh, that, that quality carries over. So I think they did it really well. I think it's hard to do. I think the fact, you know, um, that the actors are Alan Arkin and of course, Martin Sheen helps a lot because those guys are just wonderful. You know, if they got some, some less skillful actor, I think it would, it wouldn't wear as well, but. Um, and it's an hour and 10 minutes. So yeah, it's perfect. Like, I think, perfect. you know, some, some movies go on forever for no reason. This one was just right. Cause it's a, it really is a novella. It's a, it's short. Yeah. I, I showed it in two parts, which it's an easy one part. I mean, I've watched it quite a few times now. I probably watched about five times, which is interesting because I don't watch a lot of movies over and over, mm-hmm. you know, and th- this is one of the, those movies where it's like, Hmm. Yeah, I'm watching it because it's there's so many good biblical passages in it, references and things that there's even some uh, we'll have to talk about. There's some there's some uh, little uh, gems in there that are in like absolutely a little missed couple little mysteries. I want to ask a little later on if you caught something when they were in Bethlehem. I hope I did. Yes, we'll see. <laughs> but let's so, go. Yeah. Let's talk background. The, yeah, the author it. of the original book is a guy named Henry Van Dyke, uh, who's uh, of Dutch extraction he's a princeton man and then therefore a friend of woodrow wilson's who was later ambassador to the netherlands and luxembourg and surprise world war one busted out and he was able to do a great job of taking care of refugees and caring for the poor and the sick so he becomes a presbyterian minister 
He presides over Mark Twain's funeral. There's a really nice article in the New York Times. If you go to their Wayback Machine, you can read his speech mm. for Mark Twain, which is a beautiful speech. You know, they 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 just back then in the newspaper, they just transcribe it. It's like a whole column. He's the author of Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, the hymn you've probably sung in church to the tune of Beethoven's Ode to Joy. That he wrote that. I really uh, he put lyrics yeah. to that. Yeah, those are his lyrics. He wrote a bunch of poems. Um, you can read the story of the other wise man uh, right online in Project Gutenberg. So um, that that's that's the background I found out. <laughs> wow, that's really interesting. And it's on the it was on Thorn, which I believe is a Catholic channel. But this was done by Protestant. It sounds like, but I think the movie's Catholic because it says Paulist Productions, right? So oh. aren't those aren't those the Newman Center guys, the Paulists? Oh, you're right. Okay, I didn't catch so, that. Well, there you go. I think the book is a Presbyterian author, you know, uh, and then I think the movie is a Catholic endeavor. And I feel like Martin Sheen does a lot of Catholic stuff, right? He was uh, he did The Way, which is the Camino of Santiago. He plays the president in West Wing, who's clearly a very Catholic figure in in that great show from from our college days long ago. (laughs) Yeah, I actually saw him, too. And you might know he was doing a voiceover for a documentary I was watching the other day that was a Polish saint which i cannot i'm sorry i can't remember oh no wait is it faustina that's our that's no, our recent one i, I don't think so maybe or, we'll uh, do a little google search and find out what yeah. he did <laughs> yeah. but really really great well done i didn't you know like in a lot of these films there's but i didn't get like this heavy-handed catholic type of approach either on it, it yeah. it's very universal in a lot of ways and in a good way yes. not any kind of they just really told the story. And as you said, I thought the acting of Martin Sheen and Alan Arkin was just, the Alan Arkin was just amazing, you know? He's great. He's <laughs> they, so couldn't, great. they couldn't yeah. have picked a funnier, funnier yeah. guy. I mean, I watched him recently when he was Clouseau. Did you know that he he, he was a- No, I didn't know that. I think he was- He'd a be Clouseau. terrific as Clouseau. He was a Clouseau before, um, uh, what's what's his name? Uh, Steve Martin? Uh, the one before him. Oh, uh, Peter Sellers. <laughs> Peter Sellers, yeah, yeah. So he, he was yeah. before Peter Sellers. I watched it recently. It, it, it wasn't all. It wasn't my favorite one. Let's just put it that way. But you know, yeah. Martin's done great stuff. Yeah. Okay. So let's get started in the film. First, I want to say it's definitely family friendly. Friendly. Absolutely. It is so good for the family. I mean, I've watched this film. I know you have. Just to find any kind of innuendos or something, as a lot of films have, or nothing even when they were giving birth in the particular yeah. scene, which sometimes can be uncomfortable in movies they made it so rated g it was like the baby they don't show anything baby just basically is in his arms <laughs> yeah yeah, so, yeah. I totally agree yeah yeah great so I, I and i do not think adults by the way would be bored at all in this film it's very it's amazing how they just made it so universal all right, so you guys know the three wise men, the three magi, sometimes called the three kings, are kings from the east or wise men from the east magi. Yeah. Uh, this turns out to be a Persian word, uh, which is where we eventually get the word of magician or magic. But the wise men are healers from, from the east. There's a fourth guy, and his name is Artaban. Uh, in the Bible, it, I think it just says wise men. How they got to be three, I think, is just custom. Um, but in th- in this version, there's a fourth one who missed, who came late, and his name is Artaban, and he's played by Martin Sheen. 
He has lost his wife and two children in a fire. So he's thrown himself into his uh, scholarship in astronomy. He found the star with his three friends and he's headed off to meet them before they all go together in a caravan for uh, Israel. On the way, he finds a poor man who is lost in the desert. Perhaps he's been attacked by robbers like the guy in the parable uh, with the Good Samaritan. And he stops to care for them. And because he stops to care for them, he misses the caravan of the three wise men. And so he has to go on his own and he has to go late. That's so, the reason he's late. Yes. That's the reason. He has three precious gems. It's a ruby, that's a pearl, right. and something else. So a sapphire, perhaps something. And so before, uh, can I say, before he goes yeah. on his journey, he he sells everything, which is actually how the movie opens with the selling of all his goods. He's very wealthy. Yeah, absolutely right. Right. So he's done what Jesus tells the rich man, like sell all that you own. Um, and that that's what he's doing. <laughs> and he takes the slave with him, which is referred to as a slave in the movie, Orantes. Yeah, Orantes is his uh, curmudgeon friend and slave, uh, Alan Arkin. Yeah. He complains the whole time. He's kind of like a C-3PO figure. Everything's <laughs> going wrong. Everything is uh, terrible. And why why can't his master just go back to Persia where everything was safe and sound? He was a respected scholar and, and the leader of his people. What What is he doing on this wild goose chase and this fool's errand? out here among the scum of the earth and, you know, caring for this lost Jew stuck in the desert. So, yeah. So he's, so it's supposed to be, he's got these three gems. So it should have been gold, frankincense, myrrh, and three gems, but he didn't quite make it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he has the three, um, the three gems we see at the very, very beginning there. So when he misses the, he misses the three wise men, right? He's late to the yeah. party because he helps a man. He helps someone yeah. that's sick. Yeah. So the story goes, he's always a step behind Jesus. He never quite catches up to him. And so his life sort of parallels Jesus's life from birth to crucifixion. And he, he misses him at Bethlehem. He misses him on Holy Thursday. Uh, sorry, on, on uh, Palm Sunday. He just misses him on Holy Thursday. He comes to the, you know, the, the upper room a little too late. He sees Peter in Gethsemane a little too late. And he's always one step behind. He's always one step behind. Yeah. And that's this is a trope I really like in, in Hollywood. Like when you have the person who is just missing the famous events. Uh, I think Forrest Gump is like that. I think uh, a little big man is like that. You know, like you you're always just there, but you're but you just miss it or you just meet the famous person, but you meet him tangentially. Um, and yeah. so that that's going on in, in this movie. And he sells his first. So he sells his first. Uh, jewel because he misses the the wise men in order to travel through the desert yeah so, <laughs> orantes is like great we're gonna go back home <laughs> but not oh the case right right so he has to he to in order to keep up with jesus he has to sell these presents that he really wanted to bring him the first one just as you said he sells uh for to put together his own caravan to catch up the other two he sells in the hour of need for somebody else. The other two he uses to ransom somebody once, one of the babies at the at the murder of the innocents by King Herod, and then once a girl who's being sold to, to slavery for her father's debts. Uh, and so he uses these gifts to Jesus, not to give to Jesus, but to use, you know, in the way exactly as God would like us to do in the corporal works of mercy. When I'm watching the movie, for me, I always think about how much more I can do 
it's a reminder for me to just be more charitable, really. It's a feel-good movie. And, you know, like you said, we cry at the end, we feel at the end. And it just makes me want to do more things, especially with this movie emphasizes helping the poor and needy, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, probably most important part in this film or one of the most important parts I should say is when he does end up at the leper camp mm-hmm. and the leper camp is, is a very sad scene. And, and I love the way they give a little historical stuff on this and it slowly kind of trims away while they're on the kicked out of society and how they can't take part in society. And I actually researched a little bit on the, on that end and was like, how contagious was leprosy? which I, I ended up kind of researching. And at that particular time, they thought it spread very, very easily, right? Yeah. Which from my reading, it, it says that it does. It really was not easily spreadable. Ah. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's a, a misconception with things. I forget what the disease is called now. Is it called? Hansen's, yeah, Hansen's disease. Hansen's disease, right. That's what we call it today, but we have plenty of medicines for it now. Yeah, so leprosy is a thing that you don't feel any pain, right? And the reason leprosy itself doesn't harm you, it's just you do not have the sense to take your hand out of the fire or to not pick up the hot pot or you don't notice when you have a thorn in the bottom of your foot. And so people insensible to pain then do accidental damage to their body that they don't notice and then they get an infection and that's what causes you to have such disfigurements and lose a limb here and there. And so it's a really, it, it's an interesting disease because it brings home the value and gift of pain that we enjoy, even while we curse it every day. To think that you would not feel your finger falling off, ouch. Right, right. Well, I'm saying ouch, but they don't feel it. They don't feel it. And then suddenly they have this terrible infection and they're like, what happened there? And then, you know, and then there's gangrene and all the other, all the other things, you know, in a time before antibiotics and antiseptic and everything else. Right. Well, All of his cures are like, here, have some fresh water and lie down. That's that's what he's got. <laughs> well, he was putting, you know, ointment and stuff on on the by member, like right after, after that particular part uh, where he's getting water. Yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. Sit down and get me some water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. then he's but he starts then you start seeing him rebandaging the people. You know what? Okay, now that you've said all this, I totally want to say the same. I want to I want to share your I come down on the same spot that this is what speaks to me because he's the whole second act is he's in this thing. He spent 30 years with these lepers. Right. And (laughs) I sort of feel that way every school year. It's now May. It's now May. And I know my, you know, ninth graders very well, but I just met them in the fall in the fall. They were so hard, you know, they were so hard to get along with and they were so opinionated and stubborn. And now I feel like I know them and you can win your way into somebody's confidence just by, showing up every day and doing the same thing, you know, and if a child is unstable or has an unstable home life or has a lot of things to be angry about, just the fact that you're there every day saying, good morning, how you doing? Uh, Where's your homework? That's okay. We'll do it tomorrow. Just being a constant presence in somebody's life makes you one of them. And here we have um, uh, Artaban and Orantes, first total outsiders, first held hostage by the theft of their gem, but by the fact that they spent a, you know, pretty much a lifetime here, they are, not only the leaders, but very deeply the family, the family of these guys. And these are their people, even to the extent that once Artaban dies, Orantes, Orantes doesn't want to go to Persia. He's like, I'll go back to the colony. That's that's where he belongs. Yeah, that's an interesting dynamic, as we talked about 
Orantes is he's not happy being there. Yeah. As a matter of fact, he stays out of the camp the whole time. And it's so funny this he's referred to as a slave, but it almost seems the other way around because he doesn't do anything that uh his master tells yeah. him to do. He's like, Well, the slave says, You're entitled to feed me. Totally. And, <laughs> I love that bar Marge. She's like, yeah, well, you're entitled to work. And he's like, what? <laughs> work. Totally. Uh, I think one, there's a lot of very beautiful moments. I'm sure we'll go through them. Yeah. But one thing that always uh, hits me to the core is there's a moment on Palm Sunday when Orontes has left, has left Artaban. And he's like, I'm out of here. Artaban knows he's dying. He's like, get out of here. Yeah, which is weird. I don't buy that at all. That you've spent thirty years with him and you want to chase him away so you can die alone. I don't buy that. I think you want to die together. But put that aside, or they they sort of parted ways. And Orontes is in is in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He hears that Jesus is in town. He hears that people are calling him the Messiah. So he doesn't know whether to leave his master as instructed or to go back and share the good news. And he has this great prayer. And I I I wrote it down because I really want to share it. Oh yeah, please uh, do. Orontes says. Forgive me for bothering you, talking to God, yeah, he's particularly about. since I don't believe you exist. <laughs> but if you do, I have a bit of a problem. If this man, Jesus, is the one that my master has been waiting for, perhaps I should go back and tell him. But if I do, I'll just get trapped there. So what should I do? All of this talk about freedom and all it has meant, and all it has meant is a lot of responsibility. And I'm not sure I like that. <laughs> so... That's that like so hilarious. Yeah, freedom. Freedom is like yeah. Okay, we got Christian freedom or Christian liberty. I think as Luther would would say, but uh, that's just a lot of work, you know. It's uh, and and what a, what a privilege is the difference between being you know I you have, I've called you my servants now I call you my brothers that that sort of that that transition is what he's getting at and I think that's what I think that's what he gets and maybe we're him you know how like he's the imperfect character so we see everything through his view. Yeah. Whereas his faithful master, he's a little too perfect for us. Uh, so maybe we are Orontes looking at the example of Artaban. Maybe I think that's... in some ways, certainly. But I, I want to back up to one, something yeah. you said about how you kind of resonated with now that we were talking about it with the teacher thing and and how you helped your your children. And, you know, the it takes time for them to get to know you and everything. And that is maybe where Artaban he, he doesn't just help them medically. He really infuses a trust and, and, and friendship there, which he yeah. gives a whole new, he ignites their soul. He gives them purpose again. He helps them grow food. Yeah. They start to make a community, a thriving community, you know, which I think this is really a big part too. Like you said in your classroom, yeah, you come into this, this hot mess and it's kind of like that he's being the change, right? He's like, well, I'm going to, can you stay and help us? Yes, I can. Yeah. You know, and it's it's out of love and charity that he does this. And and I think I also feel the same way that you you feel after watching the movie or at least I I thought about this like how does how does this movie affect me in my life and sometimes I am very much like Antares. I want to get to the next place. I mean, how many times have I even said that oh I'm going to be late for this or this or this? This brings up a good point. I mean, you see somebody stranded on the side of the road. You got 15, 20 minutes to get to work or something. What do you do? Yeah. You know? I mean, think of the big, the big, the big deal here, the real big deal in the movie. 
Artaban is going to meet the three wise men. There's a sick man. Is he going to say, no, I can't help this guy? Knowing that he may be late and miss his whole opportunity to meet the king, the Messiah? Yes. <laughs> That's a big deal. No, exactly. That's a, such a good point. And then through his life of service, he it's really interesting because, you know, it's so vague. Oh, we saw a star. Oh, there's a prophecy. But as he's going along, by the time he gets to the end, he has he really understands who Jesus is. And when he finally when Jesus as he's dying, Jesus appears to him. Right. And he's like, you are, you know, my Lord and my savior, the Messiah. He's using all the correct language. He's not like, oh, the one in the prophecy. He says, my, you know, my Lord and my savior. And then they just recite the line from Matthew. When Lord, when did I see you hungry? When did I see you thirsty? When yeah, I got it over here, actually. Yes. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Matthew 25. And verse, I believe it starts at verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by the father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink, a stranger and you welcomed me, naked and you clothed me, ill and you cared for me, in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, which is exactly what Artaban answers, right? Lord, when did we see you hungry? Or he says, I never saw you hungry mm -hmm. and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink. We never met. When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked or clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and visit you? And the king will say to them in reply, which we see in the movie, which is really where it gets you, right? Yeah. It's, amen, I say to you, whatever you did for one of the least brothers of mine, you did for me. Yeah. Even right now, just those lines make yeah. me feel like that's the purpose of why we're here. Yeah. The biggest part. I mean, we have a lot of conversations on a lot of topics, you know, but this is really where the rubber meets the road and how we love one another. No. And that, uh, amen. And this is this is what happens when you're born in our time is you're not going to meet Jesus, the man walking around with sandals on uh today because you're 2000 years too late but he's always just right outside he's always if you follow him and do as he says you're always right behind him and you can always get to know him a little better a little better yeah. and the understanding will come uh so so in that way we we are we are the fourth wise man <laughs> and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh yes exactly yeah i was gonna ask if you caught a, oh, a little little part in the movie where where he goes to bethlehem uh-huh that's yeah Okay, so back right. in, this is where he, after he sold the first jewel, which I can't remember which, because by the way, that person that he helped was sick. This is an interesting part too, not to skip over. Also guided him where he should actually go. That's true. That's true. Because he was off to Jerusalem, and the the sick, the sick Jew whom he helps, you know, the guy on the side of the road. Yeah. The or Orontes says, "What claim does he have on you?" He says, "I he has my he has a claim on me for my skills as a physician." So. And then he says, oh, well, the Messiah is not in Jerusalem. He's in Bethlehem of Judea. So yeah. that's another spiritual point here. It's like mm -hmm. you never know yes. what you're, what's going to come out of that. Let's just call it a distraction for a minute. It, it, you know, in your own personal life, you, you pull over the side of the road. You never know who you're, you're helping. And we don't do this to get something in return. But you just never know what it could be spiritual. It could be totally. material. It could be a lot of different things just by showing genuine character. So yes, he leads him to Bethlehem, which yeah. kind of switches his, his path a little bit. They end up in Bethlehem. 
go right into Bethlehem. Now, did you catch the part right when they enter into Bethlehem? So right as they're going in, out is going uh, a man and a woman on a donkey with a baby. Yeah. yeah. So yes. I was like, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mary and Joseph are just, they they just walk right by them, right? Yeah. Yeah. But there's a little incongruity there, too, because it sound, when they meet the woman with the child, it sounds like they've been gone for a little while. So I think they're playing with us. That's yeah. why I like this movie so much. They're taking some liberties and they're. Totally. Yeah. It's a fable. It's a story. It's, it's not a, yeah, yeah. It, it's there's not a like, Oh no, there they are. <laughs> Turn around, man. Yeah. Yeah. You just walk past them. <laughs> yeah. So close. They never made it to chat. We would have never made it to Matthew chapter 25. Exactly. Right. So they, this woman tells them they went to Egypt and income the soldiers for Herod. And I think there's, he's not, he's not in the credits, but I think, I think that soldier is Charlie Sheen. Oh, that that soldier's one hundred percent Charlie. Yeah, yeah. He's not in the credits, or maybe he is. Maybe he's in the credits. He's not on the IMDb. Oh, uh, interesting. He's, he's Charlie Sheen as Maximus. So that guy's Maximus, which is an odd name for a for a um, a Hebrew soldier. But whatever, we'll let it go. <laughs> um, I this was a Roman soldier. Well, I think it's Herod's man. Oh, uh, but, you're right. But, yeah. Well, but who knows? Who knows? But Herod might have been putting the edict out. Ex- totally, he might have had a. De- a detachment of uh, um, Romans. Like there's another, there's another fable, not fable, but a, a playful version of the gospel made by Dorothy Sayers called the man who would be King. And so it's a series of plays she put out for the BBC. And in that one with, you know, there's a lot of editorial flourish on her part, but she has the, the Roman captain attached to Herod refuse. He refuses to do to go kill the children. And it just it shows the limit of Herod's power under Rome. But that's also totally imagined, just as this is, you know, a work of imagination. Yeah. So, OK, so there's Charlie Sheen, Martin <laughs> Sheen's son. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so that's the first I think that's the ruby, right? That's the ruby he pays him to to leave the woman in peace. Yeah. So th- so they don't kill the the, the crying child. In yeah. the then we're off to Egypt. This is where it gets it's a little bit of a. I think they filmed this outside of LA and I think they filmed the whole thing in a week. So for them, Egypt is like, there's a big image of the pyramids behind you and across the river from the pyramids are the big old statues from the temple of Luxor. And just so you know, it represents Egypt. <laughs> yes, so, yes, 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 yes. You know, some great movies are done on one set in one week. I think Casablanca was like that. I, and I feel they just knocked this thing together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In a, in a modest and sweet little way. So there's Egypt. Yeah. He meets a rabbi there. Uh, who says, what does he say? He says, stop looking at palaces, go look in the houses of the poor. I love that part too, because yeah. you know, we don't think about, we have the luxury, of course, of, of knowing that Jesus was born in a manger. Yeah. And he's thinking as my, well, what king would be poor? Yeah. Which I guess that really would make sense for that time period, especially, I mean, it's not like they had news media going around. You, you know, you would think of somebody like, okay, well, he's a king. I should probably look in castles where he's going to be sure maybe he was born in bethlehem and poor but a king has to be somewhere in higher up places which is a great great part of the movie too and he finally the light bulb clicks right yes yes absolutely right and for us that's obvious but that's because we live in a christian world (laughs) yeah we we know all this but that made me think too like if i was back in that time period would i think of a king as someone that wants to live as they said in the slums or amongst the poor no, no way. He had a hard time grasping that through the whole film. That would be his the only area I think um, Artaban was kind of struggling with was how could this king be not 
earthly wealthy. Yeah, yeah. And this is also from our previous discussion on the book of Job. It's, you know, the good are, the righteous are rewarded and the sinners are punished. And that's how Old Testament thinking went. And then if these guys are Persians, well, they're Zoroastrians. And Zoroastrian is even more, you know, God is not the almighty unique creator. There's a there's a force of light and a force of darkness, almost like Star Wars. And right. they're always they're always in conflict. And which one are you? Right. That I think that's the um that I forget what it's called, but there's a theological term for this sort of dualistic, uh, e- equally balanced worldview, which is completely not our monotheistic way. One other thing is that there's this priestly blessing, which you've probably heard lots of times. Uh, um, and the it's from the book of Numbers. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his son saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the first half of that we get from the man in the desert who's who's injured. And the mm-hmm. second half we get from the rabbi. And that's really sweet that they sort of give that, the two of them together, the two Jews give that blessing to our Persian protagonist as he's going on his way to the leper colony. What was the uh, Isaiah scripture that he read? You did? Yeah, so Isaiah 61.1. Okay, so... Isaiah sixty-one one is yeah. in the is in the film as quoted by the rabbi. The spear of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring glad tidings to the lowly, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to announce that you're a favor from the Lord and a day of vindication by our God, to comfort all who mourn, to place on those who mourn in Zion. A diadem instead of ashes mm. to give them oil, gladness, and place of mourning. Right. And so that's a reversal for our young Persian prince from this old rabbi. Like, stop looking in the palaces of the mighty and start looking in the hovels of the poor and the wretched. That's where he's going to be. Yeah. Well, I, I, there's a little comedy relief part in that in, in Egypt, too. We don't want to forget this. Beautiful- oh, yeah. Absolutely. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, please. Tell the audience, I got to let yeah. you know this. So, this, this right. Point. So Orantes, who really wants to go back to Persia, has put up some poor guy to pose as Joseph and Mary uh, just so that the quest can be over. And it's really funny because he's like, look, master, look, I found them. And then Martin and then uh, Artaban is, uh, are you guys, you know, you're from Bethlehem? Yes, I'm Joseph. This is Mary. This is our child, Benjamin. And we were visited. <laughs> We were visited by two magi, and Orans is like, three, three, three magi. Three magi. And they, <laughs> and they brought us gold, frankincense, and honey. Oh, myrrh, yeah. myrrh. I mean, myrrh, myrrh. myrrh. We like myrrh. We sure like myrrh. We like the myrrh. <laughs> and so, that was so a great lot. That was a great part. That was a great part. But you know, even though it's very, very funny, there's a little scene that comes right after that that's like pointing into the movie here. You just don't get it. Yeah. You don't get why why I've given up my life for this particular thing. That's beautiful because he is really a good friend to him. And he is mm-hmm. trying to evangelize to him and lead him yeah. to understand Jesus. And yet he yeah. doesn't completely understand, but he knows that all the things of this world are passing away. Yeah. There's a much bigger meaning. Right. And so as after this, they come across the leper colony in the desert. Originally, they are attacked and somebody steals his last pearl. 
And so they sort of go back and say, give us back our pearl. And then the leader of the colony, who's a woman, Judith, says, well, heal my son and then you can have it back. So slowly he gets, you know, he sees like, here's an opportunity where I can do some healing. He clearly likes to do his healing. Maybe he understands a little more from his talk with the rabbi about the book of Isaiah. And they're slowly, slowly, they're drawn into it. You know, and at first it's just for one day. Okay, one day, master, one day. Okay, one more day. Then it's a month. Then it's 30 years. He's lost. And, yeah. And so I feel that this is, there's something in this, that is uh, an important message for us all that the person you should be taking care of is the person who's in front of you. It doesn't make much sense to cross the world to go find some poor people when there might be a poor person next door or down the street. Uh, he, the only reason he's on this quest is because he's lost his own family in a fire. So he's available to go do astronomy and go on these um, far-flung quests. But the rest of us, you know, we just look around and there's somebody somebody next to us who needs our help. And that's the person we should slow down for. As you said, that's the person we should pull over and say, how you doing? You need, you need help with changing your tire or do you need me to make a phone call or what can I do? Yeah. That's, that's really our charge. This came up to me in an obvious way because I was um, talking with a theologian about purgatory and in the catechism about purgatory is cited the story of Lazarus Lazarus and the rich man. Uh, and that's in the Gospel of Luke. Lazarus is the poor man by the rich man's door. The rich man doesn't have a name, so that's telling, but Lazarus does. And the rich man's crime is not being rich, but the rich man's crime is not noticing the poor man right next to his door, right? Yeah. He's not guilty of neglecting the poor man in a different town or across the neighborhood or in another country. He's guilty of neglecting his neighbor who was in obvious need and him doing nothing. Right? He didn't do anything wicked. He just failed to take care of the person right next to him whom he could have helped. Uh, and so I think that too is the is the gospel. Like, you know, God could fix everything with a snap of his fingers, but that's not how God chooses to operate. God chooses to operate through us, you know, for each other. One hand washes the other hand. And we are all the hands. We are all the instruments. We're all the body of Christ. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that that up because when I was reading the Judge of the Nations in Matthew 25, which was in the in the movie, obviously, right the end of the movie, it goes into the second part that I didn't read is when he says, "I'm going to judge those on the right." Then he will say, "Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me." which we see with uh, the Lazarus story, right? You were cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. A stranger and you gave me no welcome. Naked and you gave me no clothing. Ill and in prison and you did not care. Obviously, it's the flip of what we just read. And I think that's something, although this film's rather lighthearted, I do believe that we... We must be treating our, our our neighbor with charity and love. Absolutely. And it's also where we will derive our joy yeah. uh, on this world, too, in the process, even though you maybe doesn't feel that way, because I'd rather just eat potato chips and watch Netflix all day. I should probably be, you know, investing in the lives of the people around me um, and trying to imitate Christ. Yeah, in, so part in of the reason life. I wanted to do this video, in all honesty, I think I'm realizing yeah. 
look at this is for myself too. I'm yeah. Agree. Sure I mean, I need to work on these areas. I'm falling short. I fall short a lot of times with my own life and my own concern and my own bills at times. I'm not always, maybe I'm not always there for everybody, but you know, I really want to. Yeah. We you know we're lucky because as teachers, we have an obvious opportunity every single day. But I think anybody, you know, you work in your office, you go to work, you meet your neighbors, you talk to the people on the bus or on the train, everybody, everybody has the opportunity to, right? We, we, and we need everybody to be doing that. And that's how we knit together a, a, a Christian world. So here he is for 30 years in this leper colony. <laughs> and there's a bunch of like funny Robin Hood stuff where he's like, okay, now we'll make an aqueduct. Okay, now we'll grow wheat. Okay, and then they get attacked by the townspeople who are jealous of them because they liked the lepers when they were uh, outsider freaks living yeah, in a state yeah. of dependency, but that's they don't like too. them when they're you know self-sufficient. Which I think that's a that's just human jealousy. Like, how dare you, you filthy lepers, get get your act together? But well, plus it was getting into their profits. Yeah, they weren't coming in there begging. You know, people as they said were going out there to actually buy wheat and things. Yeah. But through his, you know, through that whole generation of work, the 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 lepers in the beggar colony, they've gained some confidence. And so the first thing they say after their attack is, we shall build again, you know, so that's kind of nice. And there's a, a part where he's delivering a baby, which I found very touching because his whole life, like he just missed the baby. And here he is delivering a baby, you know, sometime later from, from a woman in this colony. Yeah. And it makes me think that every baby is the baby. Right. Every time you see a baby, like that child represents the whole potential of of God's uh, creation here that that He has made made for us. So when you're looking for the baby, I want to find Jesus of Nazareth in the manger. Well, guess what? A little bit, He's in that baby being born right over there, and that baby being born right over there. It's a very sweet. It's a very sweet scene, I think. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Years. There's a blind character. It's very important here right yeah that's that's another thing through the whole the, through the whole time in the leper community he realizes he's never able to cure his blindness right and when artaban finally tells arantes hey look at your you got your freedom you know goodbye the blind man and arantes decide to, to take off as you had uh, said a little earlier where they end up going into um Jerusalem during the Palm Sunday. Right. Then they meet Peter in the street. We don't know he's Peter, but it turns out he's Peter. And he's like, it's Jesus. He's here. He 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 helps the cripples walk. He gives the deaf their hearing and he helps the blind see. Yeah. And at that point, there's this boy who I don't know that we know his name, but I think he's Judith's, Judith's son. Yeah. You know, he says a beautiful thing. He's like, we're, we're like, he's like, where are you going? He's like, we're going to see him. Right. And the fact that a blind man says we're going to see him. I know. It was is, so it's very, yeah. it's, it's lovely. And so off he goes. And so Orantes, that's the moment where Orantes says his prayers that, that we said earlier, uh, forgive me for bothering you, particularly since I don't believe you exist. And yeah. then the boy is healed and Orantes goes back to Artaban and they start to pursue Jesus knowing they finally found him. But of course they get to the upper room after the last supper when the yeah, woman is cleaning up. <laughs> then they go to the... The garden of, of Gethsemane an hour late and it's just... Peter is lamenting the arrest of Jesus and Judas betrayal. And they say, do you know Jesus? And of course, Peter denies him three times. You know, yeah. I don't know him. I don't know him. And then we hear the cock crow, yeah. oh <laughs> which is God. so lovely. And it then, is. then they go to the gate and 
And at this point, I think he's got a, you know, I think Artaban is an old man. He's having uh, heart problems and he's on his way out. He's definitely dying. He's having, you know, he's having a he's staggering around. And through the through from the distance, he witnesses the the death uh, on the cross. He sees the, you know, the earthquake and the lightning. And with his final he actually that's not right. He wants to go redeem. He wants like just as he did before. He's hoping to bribe the captain of the guards to release. Oh, Jesus. yeah, that's really uh, I forgot about that, too. That's that's yeah. really beautiful, actually. Yeah. But he's too late for that. And at that point, an acquaintance of his who was a Magi who had met him in Israel had lost his fortune at sea, and that man was killed by his creditors, and his daughter is being snatched up by those creditors to be sold into slavery to pay for the the man's debts. And he Mm -hmm. recognizes her, and he uses that pearl, you know, the pearl of great price, to redeem her from her slavers, and so he frees this, you know, this Persian uh, girl. And then she, you know, she she kisses his hand and she leaves. So presumably she knows her father's friend somewhere in some caravan that will take her back home. But that's that is the third that is the the, the loss of the third gen. Now he has no more treasure whatsoever. Yeah. And then he dies. And Jesus comes to him at this moment of death and he says, I'm sorry, Lord, I I wanted to give you some gifts, but I don't have them. And of course Jesus yeah. says, Well, you have given you have given me your gifts. And then there's the Matthew 25, which you read. Well, any final thoughts on this? I mean, I definitely highly recommend everybody to watch this film, especially if you have kids, children. Yeah, yeah it's very sweet, very child appropriate, uh, very quick. Yeah. And uh, you know, I watched I watched it a few times this week, but this morning I watched it with a ten year old and an eight year old, and uh, they they were engrossed. They, you know, everything we do, everything works better through stories, yeah. right? If I say like, okay, everybody. I'm going to give you the four points that you need to know about humility and the three points that you need to know about self-sacrifice. People are going to be like, oh, goodness, could you please just not? But if I say, let me tell you a story. Once upon a time, there was an old man with two daughters or, you know, whatever, you know, people are like, oh, okay, well, could they sing? Were they beautiful? Was one kind and one, you know, like whatever. Everything works better through parables. And what this Presbyterian minister, Henry Van Dyke, did here is 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 really quite sweet. He wrote it in 1895. Oh, okay. Uh, and yeah. um you know, I kind of feel like I don't know that we get as many things nowadays and perhaps we live in a more cynical time. I could be wrong because it it really is a great success in in the guise of a children's book, but it started off as sort of a a novella for adults and and was beautifully remade by 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 these Paulists with the help of um uh, Aaron Arkin and, and especially Martin Sheen and at least two of his kids. Cause there's a guy named Ramon Estevez in it too. Uh, oh, so, okay. so there's, so it's, I think that's a family, I think it's a family effort. <laughs> well, I told my brother to watch the movie. He'd never seen it before. And yeah, like he texted me the next day or two days later and it's like, wow, that was a really profound movie. I was like, yeah, I know it's gone in my top. This, the reason I wanted to do it, it's gone in my top top movies for sure well we'll have to no, get very sweet. in here and discuss some other things some other films it's yeah, such a pleasure yeah. to talk with you it is I, I i like this and i hope we're inspiring people yeah their audience which is again through almost good catholics we'll put oh yeah the- yeah yep. subscribe and whatever like uh almost good catholics and 
And the links will be uh, below here on the website. We'll have links to everything. Uh, we'll have a link to this uh, podcast and uh, video as well. So it was a pleasure seeing it. Let's let, you know, this is the month of Mary. So let's, let's end in a, yes. Let's end in a, in a Marian prayer. Huh? What do you think? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely our May devotion. And this is the first Saturday of the month. So this is the day that Mary asked the children at uh, Fatima to go say the rosary and go to confession. And that's, Oh, uh, yeah. The, you can do five. So she appeared five times uh, on uh, over five months, and so she asked that people go on the first Saturday of the month. I've never made it to five. I've made it to three before. Um, at this point, I'm at two, so I'm making an effort again. It's that's uh, yeah, all we can do. Keep making yeah. efforts, you know. Keep an effort. I got a whole oh, lifetime. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm just going to end with a, a Hail Mary. Yeah. In the name of the Father right. and the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Mary, full of grace. Lord is grace. The Lord is with you. Blessed art thou among women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary. Holy Mary. Mother of God. Of God. Pray for us sinners. Pray for us sinners. Now, now and at the hour. Death. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Nails, spear shall pierce him through the cross. Be born for me, for you. Chris Odinius and Jonathan Fessenden recorded this conversation on Saturday, May 6, 2023. It was the Feast of St. John at the Latin Gate, recalling the event of the year 92, according to Tertullian, reported by St. Jerome, that when St. John the Evangelist, the beloved apostle, was to be martyred by the Emperor Domitian near the Latin Gate, La Porta Latina, in Rome, in boiling oil, something funny happened. The oil did not harm St. John, and instead he got out of the boiling vat and was banished to Patmos, an island where he later wrote the book of Revelation sometime around the year 95. Our music is from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster Band. Their website is www.gscoasterband.com. Our logo, the image of the dog, is from the Dominican Friars of England, Scotland, and Wales from their website, english.op.org. I'm Chris Odinitz. I thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you soon. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds God and angels sing.